0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. I see so many, so many familiar faces and so many new faces together. And uh, for those of you who are new, uh, my name is Nate, and uh, I was part of the team that founded this church and pastored this church for about seven years before turning it over to Ben Miller and moving to Malaysia and uh, pastoring an international church there that you guys pray for all the time and sent a team to not long ago. And um, it is with great joy that I get to stand before you today and preach God's word. Um, And uh, wow, we've come a long way, Bob. (laughs) Looking, Bob and Marianne. Cheryl. Wow. Think about that 13, 14 years ago. That's amazing. God is at work among you, and, and it is such a joy to come and to see how God is continuing to, to water and strengthen and build you. And um, You guys have such a good pastor. Ben Miller is such a good pastor. I don't know if you know that, but... He is such a good pastor, Um, even as I work among a lot of other churches and help coach pastors and train pastors now, um, Ben Miller is the best of the best. You guys are so blessed in so many ways, and um, here's what I found. Um, It actually is uh, a a pretty um, important thing to understand. Uh, You guys have such a good pastor, um, and he loves you dearly. but the, the healthy churches don't just have a pastor who loved them, they love their pastor back well. And uh, I know that you do that, but I just commend you to continue uh, to do that and uh, to follow his leadership um, as the Lord has led him to, to, uh, to steward the leadership here as well. And um, so uh, continue in, the, in those things. Uh, I can't wait to talk to some of you I haven't seen in a while, and uh, we get to talk to each other a little bit after service today, but um, really my job is not to just stand here and reminisce, although it's hard not to, um, but it is uh, it is to deliver God's word to you, and so uh, we're going to do that here this morning. Um, uh, I would just uh, also just tell you my my wife and my youngest, Aaron is here today. My two older kids are serving at, at church, and so... Uh, they weren't able to make it here today. I know that was a question for a number of others as well, and so I just want to make that clear. But we get to, we get to look into God's Word today, and I'm really excited about what um, we get to uh, look at here this morning. Um, and uh, I want to pray just to begin uh, this process, and, uh, and then we'll jump in, okay? So Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Word. Uh, it is precious to us. Uh, Lord, we know that it represents your character. It's not just a list of rules. It's not just something that is just words on a page. It is the living and active word of God. Your breath is in the words we are about ready to study together. And so, Lord, we come with the respect of that. We come with the expectation of what that would do. Lord, would you use your word today to change us? Um, And, and Lord, in that, uh, would we find great joy for all that you are seeking to do among us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I'm coming uh, to uh, preach from Galatians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, It's going to take a few moments to get there. Actually, uh, this is a little bit of a different message than what I normally do. Normally we're right into the text and uh, we're going to, pro- I promise, we're going to get right into this text. This is the main text, but I'm going to surround the main text with a number of other verses here today to help us understand uh, really what um, God has laid on my heart. The title of the message, obviously, is I'm a Child of God, and in your series, Back to the Basics, one of the basic things that you need to understand is that you are a child of, the, of God if you have put your trust into Jesus Christ. And so, let me just get you to affirm if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say uh, that you are a child of God. You just say, "Yes, I am." Can you do that? All right. Hey, you're a child of God. Yes, I am. yes you are. And we're going to actually sing that at the end of the service as well. That's a a phrase that's going to be in the song that we sing. And um, I, I want to uh, just maybe start by saying there there was a time where I didn't understand this concept of how important it is to know the basics of the fact that I am a child of God. Now, I knew Jesus, and I knew a lot of theology. I'd been to Bible college, I'd been to seminary, I had actually started this church, I'd been preaching the word for a number of years, and I still didn't understand this concept in the fullness of it, and I would say I'm still learning as well. Actually, I remember a time where we were doing a small group leader meeting at the Muller's house, and we were getting ready to uh, do some, uh, pre- uh, preparing the small group leaders to, to lead the small groups over the course, of the next season of ministry. And inside all of that, we had a little sheet about how important it is that uh, our, uh, how important our fathers are in life and how devastating it is when a child grows up and he doesn't know his father or she doesn't have a good relationship with her father, how that alters everything in life. And, I believe that's true spiritually as well. When we have a father, but we don't really understand the dynamic of what it is to be a child of the father, that alters everything in life. And so we want to take a look at this here today to understand this more clearly. Um, actually, I want you to think for a moment. Just describe in your mind what is the affection of a parent toward their newborn baby. Can you think about that for a second? Those of you who are parents, you were there at the event either having the child or watching your wife have the child. And I remember the events of the three different children that were born into our lives. I am not necessarily very much an outwardly emotional person. I don't believe you're allowed to cry unless you're watching Old Yeller. So... (laughs) So in this, I'm not an outwardly expressive person in this way, and yet when each of the children of, were born to us, not only the first child, but the second and the third, both time there was this pop in my heart. I was incredibly overwhelmed with happiness and joy, and I cried at each of the three births of my children. I was sitting there thinking, this is such an amazing little baby. I'm committed to love him or her. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to cherish them. I'm going to help them and teach them, and we're going to cuddle together, and it's going to be wonderful, right? They eventually turn into teenagers, but I still kind of, I still feel like that about my kids, right? I mean, these are our kids, and I got to thinking about that. Why is it that we don't We're allowed to do that in in our human lives and with our kids, but why is it that so many times we don't think that that's the way that God feels about us? Why is this description often not our experience in the relationship with God? We, We think about God, and he's kind of big and formal and up there, and we respect him, and we even talk about worshiping him. But I would say it's not usually our experience that we would think that God loves us the way I just described the way we love our babies. Why is it so easy to live divorced and outside of the love of the Father and the delight that he has in his children? That's why I come today, and I think that we need some help. We need to think a little bit about this from the Word of God. We need to let God's Word describe for us because we have this experience where we don't understand how God really does feel about us. We have distorted views of that. So today I want to, if you're a note-taking type of person, just revolve our thought around this main idea here this morning this is the main idea of the message. It's, it's that the key to living loved is to understand how I have been adopted into the, God, into the family of God. We, we talk about this as, as, as a church. We talk about how we need to live loved. We, we are loved and sent to the glory of God. We, we, we want to make disciples to understand that they're, they're loved and sent, and they, they have significance and purpose and Yet the key to doing that is really in an understanding of being adopted into the family of God. A proper orientation towards God and actually in life and and about what I think about myself happens only when I live from a place that is secure in God's love. If I doubt God's love, it will lead to a life of pain. We must deeply understand God's affections and his emotions and his feelings towards us. Without these, we are overcome by distorted views of renewal and God and life and self, and it's destructive in our lives. And so this morning, I want to take a look at this, really from Galatians chapter 4. I believe this is one of the key texts to understand, really, our adoption in God's family and therefore lived out of a proper perspective of the Lord. And so if you, again, are a note-taking type, I would say this. Write this down this morning. Number one, uh, see the beauty of adoption into God's family. We need to take a look at what it means to be adopted in God's family so that we can see the beauty of it, because in seeing the beauty of it, our heart's longings, the thing that we want, even if we haven't talked about this, even if we haven't described this for a while, we, we won't truly understand it unless we get our eyes on the beauty of how great it is to be adopted into God's family. Really, what I, f- I have found is that if you don't have an understanding of adoption, then you don't really understand your faith. If you don't understand what it means to be adopted into the family of God, you don't understand Christianity. Christianity. And in fact, that's actually something that's very true of us. I I would say we actually kind of all start with this significant issue. You want me to stop all the way? Well, I have been hearing the water and wondering what's going on. Okay, that's fine. I'm going to keep going because it seems like you can do that. Yeah, all right. So I'm saying here today that we have distorted views about our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's kind of like when you go to the carnival, and they have that room that you can walk into that has mirrors, but the mirror doesn't make you look like you normally look, right? It's one of those mirrors where you're standing in front of it, and you're really short and really fat, right? Or you have a really skinny body and this massive head. Have you ever seen those carnival uh, mirrors, right? Right? That, that's what it means to have a distorted view of something. The, the real image of what's going on is standing correctly in front of the mirror, but the mirror is actually causing you to think that you look very differently. And I think that so many times we as Christians have these distorted views. It's like we're looking into one of those carnival mirrors when it comes to what we think God feels and thinks about us. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I, I, I think actually one of the reasons we have a misshapened and deformed view of what God thinks of us comes from the fact that we have experience with our human parents. Now, how many of you had parents that were perfect? Raise your hand. I see no hands. How many of you, now that you are a parent, are a perfect parent? I see no hands. Now, we all know that, right? And so we grow up in these imperfect families by imperfect parents, and that affects our view of how we think our Father is with us. I mean, it's possible that you grew up in a family where parents lost their temper all the time. Maybe they were absent. Perhaps they demanded perfection. Maybe they were easily irritated and they let you down and they broke promises and they lacked wisdom and they only loved you because of conditions. It wasn't unconditional love, it was conditional love. Well, that view affects our view of of adoption in such important, such significant ways, and it causes us to have a misunderstanding. And yet, I, I found that this misunderstanding is massive in our. Faith walk with the Lord. So, one of the great theologians is named J.I. Packer. He said it this way. Quotes on the screen. It says, "If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how he how much he makes of the thought of being God's child." and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. So do you understand it? Do you understand this privilege of adoption that you have? Or do you have a distorted, misshapen, deformed understanding of how God the Father loves you? Well, this morning I want us to see the beauty of adoption. When I say see, when you first heard it, you're like, all right, kind of a boring thing here, see, da-da-da-da. But now that you understand that you have a need to see it in a more significant way, right? Okay, let's, let's take a look at it. What does the love of a perfect father look like? Well, first of all, I would point you that when you look at the beauty of adoption, you see that it, is, it means there is security. This actually comes right from God's Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 12, it says this, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. He dwells between his shoulders. Do you see the imagery of this verse? That somebody who is a child of God, the beloved of the Lord, dwells between the shoulders of the father. It's this picture of this little baby that we described earlier, right? Just born, you're, there's tears in your eyes, and you're holding that little boy or that little girl between your shoulders. You, you've got them wrapped up in that place of great security. So, it's interesting, those little babies, they, they start to grow up, right? They get to be little kids, and actually, like, one of my favorite times of their life is when they're toddlers, I know the terrible twos are kind of scary, but it's like the best, okay? It's the best time of life and part of it is because um, you have these wonderful little interactions with them, and I remember my little guy we would be, we would be outdoors and we would be playing and, and he would run up to me and he would go, "Daddy, daddy, throw me, and so I'd take the little guy right and and you go right, you throw him in the air, and at first it's like you know just a little bit, he loves it though, right so so you toss him a little higher, right? And, and he's, he, he's like so excited. He's laughing and he's giggling and, and, and then you really toss him, right? You toss him and, and drop him, you drop him down. Like he turns around right away, right away and was like, daddy, daddy, again. Meanwhile, mom is like, never again, right? <laughs> but why is it that the little guy is like, daddy, daddy, again? He's not worried that the father's going to drop him. He has this incredible trust. This is my dad. He's going to take care of me. He's taking care of me from the time that I've been a baby, and all I've known is that I have this father who catches me every time that it feels like I'm falling. He trusts that the father is going to catch him. One of the great imageries that we have in the New Testament is at that Last Supper when the disciples were sitting around, and John, the beloved disciple, was leaning against Jesus at the Passover, between his shoulders. And that's got heart for all of us, that we would rest between his shoulders. And what I want you to see, the beauty of adoption, is that you can have that kind of relationship. You can trust him because this is an incredibly secure place to be. But I want you to see something else, not just the security. I want you to see the beauty of adoption is also confidence. Kind of laid into what we already said here. But think of it this way. A little child has confidence. So if we were to have a gathering for the king of Quarryville, I don't know who that is, okay? Just imagine with me for a little bit. The king of Quarryville shows up, and, and, and you got invited to this event that the king was going to be at. What would you do? You would prepare. You would get all dressed up, Right? you would bring your invitation because the big tough security guards aren't going to let you in unless they see that you've been invited. And then once you get into the room, we would quietly talk with each other in the corners until we had the opportunity to have the conversation with the king. But a child acts way different. Okay, A child doesn't need an invitation to come to the event. The the side door bursts open. The, The little girl runs into the room, wraps her arms around her father's legs, who is the king, Because she has this great confidence. The confidence comes from the fact that there is this relationship. She is the child, and so she has a right that nobody else has. Do you believe that that is a description of your relationship with your Heavenly Father? Here's one last thing I want us to see. The beauty of adoption not only as security and confidence, but I want you to see it as enjoyment as well. So picture a man walking down the lane with his daughter. The daughter knows that this man beside her is her father and that her father loves her deeply. But suddenly the father stops and picks up the little girl and holds her in his arms, embraces her and kisses her. The father's action has not changed her status in any way. She's always been his child, but wow what the difference is in the enjoyment that they experience. Do you have the enjoyment and the delight of the father in your relationship with him? My fear is that those are wonderful pictures that Describe things that our heart longs for, that we would have a relationship with our Creator, with our Father in this way because He's put that in us. He's designed us to desire to have those types of experiences with with the Father, with Him. But so many times we have an easier time operating like an orphan than as a dearly loved child. Think about that. An orphan has been harmed from the very beginning of life because there's been a distance with their parents in some way. Whatever the circumstance, it really doesn't matter. Just by the fact of being being orphaned, it has harmed that individual in such a way that they don't know how to receive love unless something happens later in life that helps them understand what it was really supposed to be. But even in that time gap between the time where the the injury of orphanhood happened to the time where they learn what real love actually is, there's this learning process that happens that distorts their view, and it's incredibly difficult to trust whoever it is that may take up the role of parent in their life. They live unloved as orphans, rather than loved as children of their parents. They don't know what it means to love, be loved that way. They've never experienced it. This hurt in life has happened, and so, so many times, they think that there's a better way. And they start to act out of those ways, and many times, it actually creates great harm in their life and the life of others as well. And yet, so many times, when I show you the picture of what it's supposed to look like, you're like, oh man, I, that's not really been the way I've lived. I actually live more like an orphan than a dearly loved child of the king. And that messes up with your identity. That messes up with the very core of who you are when you forget that you are a loved child of God, it messes up with this identity piece and results in you constantly working for acceptance rather than from a place secured in the acceptance of the Father. Some symptoms of living this way include that things like this. Personal criticism rocks your sense of worth. You're not able to separate who you are from what you do. Your, your achievements that happen in life only give you a temporary, temporary sense of relief and pleasure, and it doesn't last. You come to the spot where you come to church, you don't work for God, you're working to satisfy the things in you in the name of working for God. And ultimately, your sense of worth and validation come from performance instead of God's unconditional love for you. There's a better way. There's a better way, and yet, to understand the better way, I think it's important that we recognize the the distortions that appear in our adoption into God's family. Here's the thing, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family, and you can have the relationship that I've just described But there's probably been some experiences in life that have distorted that, so much so that you think, well, if I do something bad, if I perform in a way that God doesn't like and he's clear about those things in his word, then it's not just that he doesn't like those things, he doesn't like me. You see now how you're acting as an orphan rather than a dearly loved child. And so in seeing the beauty of adoption, we also have to recognize that, that the looking at the beauty of it causes us to see the kind of the ugly parts of how I have experienced or responded to that. Now, there's no problem with the Lord in that, but really with how I have interacted with those things. And so maybe you need to consider what needs to be fixed. What are the distortions in your life that need to be straightened out? Are you seeing that the foundation of your life is not truly built in the fullness of the love of the Father, and therefore you you need to understand that, you need to seek that, you need to look for that and maybe begin to live differently if those things are actually true? Well then, if that's the case, you need to trust the offer of adoption. And that's where we get to Galatians chapter 4. I want you to look at these verses together. If, if, you're, take, if you're the note-taking type, write down point number two. You've know, you got to take the time to do that, right? But really, I'm trying to get us to trust the offer of adoption that the Father has given to us. I believe that's what Galatians chapter 4 is intending to do. I point you here because I don't want you to just long for this beautiful relationship with the Heavenly Father I want you to see that you can have it, not because my words are telling you it, but because the Word of God is teaching this. I don't want you to think that I'm making something up to make you feel better today. I want you to see that God's Word is describing this. You can put the full weight of your trust on this. And when you forget it, you can go back to it and get it again. I know I need that. It's only been a couple of years that I've truly seen the fullness of what Galatians chapter four has actually meant. And I have to go back to it constantly to remind myself, stop living like the orphan. I'm a dearly loved child. So the Bible helps us here in Galatians chapter four. We're going to look at verses four to seven. And what I'm going to do is show uh, two things about Jesus at the beginning of these verses. And then we're going to look at five things that Jesus does for us that clarifies Uh, this whole issue of adoption, and helps us to trust that the offer is actually true and good. So notice in verse 4, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. We'll just pause there. Two things I want you to see about Jesus here. Number one, I want you to see that when the time had fully come, God did something for us. Now, you've read the verse. What did God do? Go ahead, shout it out. What did God do? He sent his son. The fullness of time is this idea that everything was perfect for God's son to come. Now, sometimes people talk about, wow, well, the Roman Empire was in place, there was a common language, and there were these roads. That they... Listen, I don't think the reason that the fullness of time was because the Roman Empire came into being. I think God put the Roman Empire in place so that the fullness of time could happen, right? And then notice... At that right time, God sent his son. Now, had God sent people before to help us understand our relationship with him? Yes, right? God sent Abraham, and God sent Moses, and God sent the prophets beforehand, but now he's sending his very son. That's awesome. Notice who this son is. There's three descriptions of him in verse 4 that I want to just point you to. This isn't insignificant that God is sending his son. You really should think about it as Abraham and Moses and the prophets, and then something greater. Why greater? Because notice three things. It says God sent his son, notice his son, meaning that whoever it is that this individual is, is divine. God's son, therefore, divine. That's better than Moses. Not only did he send his son, he said, born of a woman. So whoever it is, somehow took on flesh and dwelt among us, right? So whoever this divine being is, uh, took on human form and lived among us. And then the third thing it says is that he's born under the law. This is important because ultimately we know that Jesus is the one that fulfills the law. He fulfills every jot and tittle. Every little piece of it is fulfilled by Jesus. And and he's born under the law because we live under the law, so he's identifying with us in totality. Now, we we see the truth of who Jesus is. Now we see five things that Jesus does as we now go through. Really, I want you to understand there is a clear line of logic that goes right through these verses. You don't have to wonder, and it's not mysterious, and you don't have to meditate to understand these verses. It's like straight through, okay? So here, let's look at it. Number one, what was the first thing that God did for us through Jesus? Look at verse five. Actually, you know what? Let me read five to seven, and then we'll come back, okay? So in verse five, it says that he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So five things that are said here. Number one, the first thing God does for us is that he redeems us. Now to be redeemed, it's a big word to say that God purchased something. He bought us, is what it's being said here. He purchased us out of sin and gave us his righteousness. To be redeemed in a theological understanding is this idea that I owed God a great debt that required death, but because of Jesus, he purchased the price of that so that now I have, I have an account that is full. But here's the thing, I really want you to understand this. When we talk about being redeemed by Jesus, we often think, okay, I did all these bad things, and so this is my list of debt, right? This was zero, this is debt, and my list is really long. And Jesus came, and he bought my debt, right? He, he paid for my debt, but here's where we go wrong. We think then that that brings us up to zero, and now that I'm at zero, when I do something bad, I'm back in debt, That's not the theology of righteousness. God says he justified us. He declared us righteous in this redeeming act so that now he takes your debt that was way down here and he brings it up to zero and then he gives you all his credits of righteousness. How many credits is that? It's a bazillion. You can't do enough wrong to get him back even to zero. And so many times we come out of this sense of identity that if I do something wrong, God's angry with me and I'm back in the doghouse with him. No, you've been redeemed. Jesus has bought all your debt and then given you the bajillions of credits of righteousness. That's your standing. And so this is a significant and huge word. He redeemed those who were under the law. That's you and me. We were sinners under the law. Jesus, as a human, obeyed the law of righteousness, died to pay for those who had gone in debt to righteousness, takes the wrath of God, redeems us from the effects and the bondage of sin, and credits us with bajillion credits of righteousness. I didn't hear any cheering. And I felt that was a cheer part of the sermon. (laughs) So let's try that again. Jesus, as a human, obeyed the law of righteousness, died for us, takes on the wrath of God, redeems us from the effects of bondage and sin, gives us the bazillions of credits of righteousness. Correct. Correct. Awesome. But it says there's something else that happened. Not just that, there's something else. On top of that, what happens? It says in verse 5, look at verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He adopts us. That's the second thing. Listen, when you get righteousness from Jesus, now you can get into the family of God. He adopts us as sons and daughters. It's so awesome, okay? The logic is, God can't have us as his children unless we're perfect. So he sends Jesus to perform the work of propitiation before we can be brought into his family. But once that work is complete, we are in the family of God. You're one of his children. Awesome? Here's the third thing. Because you are now adopted, God now goes on and says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart. So, I mean, it's a wrong setup to even think that I'm I'm back to zero, but then I do some wrong things. Hey, listen, we're still struggling with sin, but you have the Holy Spirit in you that is the guarantee of the inheritance. We're going to even see that. I'll show that verse to you in a second. Don't ever think that God thinks less of you because you've done something wrong. That's not true. That's not true at all. He's looking at you. He sees his Holy Spirit in you, reflecting the perfection of what Jesus Christ has done. Don't live from that place of guilt and shame. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Actually, it's fascinating. God gives us his spirit of sonship, and, and, and I came across this little quote. It says this, the purpose of the Son's mission was to give the rights of sonship. The purpose of the Spirit's mission is to give is to help you observe the rights of that position. I love that. It helps me understand what the Holy Spirit's all about. So many times we think of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about like miracles and tongues and all those different supernatural things that that He does, okay? But but the primary thing is the Holy Spirit is residing inside of you, connecting you to a relationship with the Father. Because of that, then, we see the fourth thing that God did for us. Notice here, it says that the Spirit is in our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and he's the one that's crying out to bring intimacy from the Father. Now, fascinating that here we have an Aramaic word because the actual original text was written in Greek. And now we have it in English, but they kept the Aramaic word. The Aramaic word was the word Abba. What do you think Jesus, when he was on earth, called Joseph in his mother tongue of Aramaic? Abba. I thought that was pretty cool and it helps me connect to the idea of really what is going on in this term and in this phrase. Why why is this, this noted in Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is inside of me crying out, Abba, Daddy, Father, why is that in Scripture? It's because the Scripture is trying to help us to see that the Holy Spirit living inside of us creates intimacy with our Heavenly Father. I mean, if you think that the Father is distant from you, you are so far from the truth of Galatians and all the rest of Scripture as well. God moves towards us in His Spirit. And then the Spirit moves us toward the Father through this prayerfulness of the Spirit that cries out, Daddy, that's literally what Abba means. We have the formal word father, but we have the heart language word Abba to help us understand intimacy. Abba, father. There's one more thing then that is noted here in verse 7. So the, the, the fifth thing that happens is it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Because you have this spirit inside of you, intimately crying out to the Father, the fifth thing that happens is that the Spirit makes us sons and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now that's the big like theological way of saying it. Let me just bring it down to like the road level. You have a big brother and his name is Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus is my big brother. I mean, so many times I think about Jesus and he's fully God and fully man and he died on the cross and and all of those things are true. We need to know all of those things. But so many times we divorce ourselves from the intimacy that all of those things are intended to show us and we don't realize I'm in the family of God and I have the perfect big brother who came and rescued me, did everything that was required so that I could be in the family and have the same inheritance that he does. And the inheritance starts with this. At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends like a dove. The Father's voice is heard who says, This is my Son whom I love and am greatly pleased. You have the inheritance of those words. You're one of the children in the family that the Father loves and is greatly pleased with. We think of inheritance as the material things, and there is an aspect of that. But you need to understand the relationship part of that to realize I'm a dearly loved child of God. I have this incredibly intimacy. When you think about the the, the logic of the passage, just kind of if we were just to put some bullet points out there, it would look like this. Uh, what is the logic? I'm redeemed. And that redemption then gives me adoption into the family. Because I'm adopted, the Spirit is sent and dwells within me so that it creates intimacy, and then I have the inheritance as a child in the family of God. This is an incredible progression that I need regular reminders of because when I see the beauty of adoption in the God's family, so many times I think, well, that's not for me. That's great for them. And I'm living out of my orphan status, not truly believing the love and the delight that the Father has in his child, in me. And I have to go back because, because listen, I do crazy, stupid things. I'm not just that little baby. I'm, I'm a teenager in the family of God who's trying to make my own way and sometimes forgetting that my parents love me. Teens, your parents love you. It doesn't always feel that way, right? But they do in the same way in the family of God. (laughs) I need to go back and see. I'm redeemed. I'm adopted. The Spirit has been sent and put put inside of me, and it creates intimacy with the Father. And then I have this amazing inheritance, and that's when I can live loved. Not out of some arrogant bravado that just says, I'm a great person in and of myself. No, it's really out of the humility and the humiliation that realizes I have no right to be a child in this family, but it doesn't matter if I have a right or not because Jesus did it for me anyway. And that doesn't seem fair, but that doesn't matter because I'm a child. (laughs) Fairness no longer matters. He took care of fairness on the cross now I just get to live in his delight. If you're going to trust the offer of adoption, though, this doesn't just automatically happen. The Bible is just so very clear that that if you want to be in the family of God, you must trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to come to the spot where you believe that everything that God says he did actually happened and actually adds up to the fact that the Father still delights in me. And so it's not just this one-time thing that happens back at the altar, at the revival that happened, or it's that I need to put my trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. I have to believe this every day because I'll wake up and I'll act like an orphan if I don't think about these things. And orphans never fully trust. They're always skeptical and always on edge. They've never been loved. They don't know what it means to put themselves into love, the love of somebody else. They have not received love, so they can't live loved. And they can't celebrate these things. Oh, they they want to. It seems like a good thing, but it's just a deal too good to be true from my previous experience. But I'm here to tell you today, there is an invitation to receive the gift of Jesus Christ by believing in him. I've just showed you through the text. You get redemption, adoption, the spirit who creates intimacy and inheritance. Will you believe that today? Have you believed it and forgotten it? Will you commit yourself to meditate on these things and on these truths to come to the realization that I believe those things. I know I'm in the family of God. I'm just not acting like a kid. Now, I know that you may know that in your head, but I want to try to bridge the greatest distance in the world, and that is the six inches between the head and the heart. Point number three this morning is embrace the intimacy of adoption. I want you to put your arms around this truth and embrace it and claim it and say that it's yours and live loved from this position. Now, it's the Spirit's job to bring intimacy. So I'm going to point you to some things, but maybe you just need to, like, in your heart, be asking, Holy Spirit, is this true? Holy Spirit, can I actually do this? Holy Spirit, can you help me because I'm going to fall short and I'm going to act like an orphan again out of my distorted experience views. And So as I describe this for you, be asking the Holy Spirit to do the work. It's the Holy Spirit's job, remember, in this progression to bring intimacy. Intimacy intimacy means closeness, it means an exclusive relationship, it means that there's belonging, and and really that there's this deep understanding that that you are loved in the family. So, So the scriptures have explained it to us, now we're asking the Spirit to create intimacy in us and the Father that maybe we didn't walk into the room with today. And to do that, I want you to to show you from, again, four scriptures that I'm just going to, they're going to be on the screen. You don't have to look them up. We can can look at them later if you need to, okay? But just engage your heart in this. Know this, God is not distant and formal and royal and otherworldly at the expense of being daddy and papa and abba. you've somehow separated those things, that's wrong, and we're trying to bring those things back together today. So four key scriptures to help us with this. We're going to start in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is the story of Jesus's resurrection, right? It's one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. We get to see that Jesus, he he died, he was buried, but he raised on the third day. And so on the third day, the John chapter 20, we see this happen. The, the, the women go to bring the spices, right? And when they show up, they see, uh-oh, the stone has been rolled away. And then there's these angel dudes that are talking to them in the whole process, right? And Mary is there weeping outside of the tomb, as recorded in John 20. She's weeping outside of there. She sees these two angels in white, and, and, and uh, they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken away my Lord. They've stolen the body. She says this and she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't recognize him. Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? And she thinks he's the gardener and says to him, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. And Jesus says, Mary. It's the voice that she recognizes. She turns and in Aramaic, she says, and I. And then Jesus in verse 17 says an incredibly important statement. He says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and, and tell them something. Now, here's the thing. Those first parts are important, but I want you to see what did Jesus want Mary to tell, notice, his brothers? I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's the first time. It's the first time that Jesus has revealed that they're in the family after the Redemption Act on the cross. Now he can tell them, go to my brothers and tell them that my Father and your Father, my God and your God. This is such a significant thing. Don't miss this. Jesus has not been able to say this because he hasn't done the act of redemption yet. He didn't tell them this before the cross, but the very first thing he wants them to know after the cross, you're in the family. You're in the family. You're one of the brothers. Now, I think it's important that you not only know the truth of that, but also that you understand the implication of that as well. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, it tells us that when the whole brother thing happens, when that realization thing happens, now you are co-heir with Jesus Christ. To be an heir of something means that you inherit something, right? So let me just maybe talk to you about it this way. Um, Has anybody ever heard of the Mars family here in America? They're the third richest family in America. Now, you know the Mars family because you've eaten a Snickers bar right? And M&Ms. And you fed your cat some cat food and your dog some dog food. Apparently, that's all part of the empire as well. Not just candy bars, but cat food and dog food, right? And the Mars family are pretty unobtrusive. Like, they don't flaunt their wealth in any way. They're just kind of in society, hidden. And in all of that, you realize that if you were to meet part of the Mars family today, you would not be meeting the people who actually made the money, actually the grandfather who started the company, built the business empire. He's the one that earned everything, and he's passed that down to them, to his kids, and then from their kids to the grandkids. If you were to meet a grandchild of the Mars family, they'd be very wealthy, but they're not the ones that actually made the money. They inherited the money. Now imagine for a second that there's a knock on your door. And you open the door, and standing there is this whole cadre of lawyers. There's one guy at the front, and he has this dark blue suit and glasses, and and he's not carrying the briefcase because the five people behind him are carrying the briefcase for him. He's the important lawyer, and he's the one that speaks to you. He says, hey, good morning, Nate, whatever your name is. I'm here to tell you some very important news. There was a mix-up at birth. And in fact, you are part of the Mars family. You're like, what? What kind of scam is this, right? You don't really kind of skeptical about the whole thing. But he goes on to say, here's the documents. Here's all the legal proof to show that you indeed are actually part of the Mars family. And so here are the keys to your mansions. Notice he put an S on the end of it. And here are the keys to your car. And here's a folder with all the passwords to your bank accounts. You are a Mars. Is there any better news that you could receive? There is! There is! You're not part of the Mars family. You are part of the family of God. And you get all the inheritance of what that is, which is far greater than anything the Mars family could give to you. Let me show this, because... That sounds like a great deal, but if the scriptures aren't telling us this, right? So so we find here that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. There it is. You have the inheritance of the Father. Now, it goes on to say, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So before time even began, he He predestined that you would be part of the family and that you're in the family so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You're in the family. And all the implications of being in the family and having the greatest inheritance you could possibly have because you're in God's family, it's true, it's true, it's true. But I want to point you to one more, uh, two more verses, actually. I want you to go and think about Luke chapter 11 for a second, okay? Not only do you have this inheritance, you have a good gift from the Father, let me just reinforce this. In Luke chapter 11, it's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount record. And in the Sermon on the Mount record, we have this whole section about how to pray and how to be taught to pray. And he's, being, he's talking about it. And he says in verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, he's saying, if you as parents who are not perfect, nobody raised their hand earlier, right? So take the word evil in context here. If you who aren't perfect know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father, what do you expect them to say? Don't look at it. If you who are evil give good gifts to your kids, then just follow the passage. Then the Heavenly Father, how much more do you expect the Heavenly Father to give you good gifts? things. The very best. Absolutely. And he identifies what the very best is. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in all of this. It is the good gift that is better than anything you could receive anywhere else. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And then notice this last thing, Romans chapter 8. You have a special relationship with the Father. It says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. With him. Romans chapter 8 that I just read says something different than, Roman, than Galatians chapter 4. Do you see it? In Galatians chapter 4, we are redeemed and then adopted and then given the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit cries in me, Abba, Father, creating this intimacy and then the inheritance. But what does Romans say? It says something different. it doesn't say that the Spirit is crying, Abba, Father. It says, we. Once you understand your adoption into the family of God, the Holy Spirit is placed in you to teach you how to have an intimate relationship with God. And listen, never apart from the Holy Spirit, but you begin to take on the responsibilities. You begin to learn how to have that intimate relationship with Him so that by the time Romans 8 is written, you are the one who are crying, Abba, Father. Father. It's wonderful. It's awesome. I want you to see that because you might have walked in at the beginning and you had a distorted view of what it means to be a child of God. But what I want to show you is that you don't have to stay in that distorted view. If you continue to lean into the Holy Spirit, you will learn how to have an intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. The greatest privilege after adoption is that we get to draw close to the Father in intimacy and cry out to Him, help. That brings security and confidence and enjoyment. All the things we saw is wonderful and beautiful about having a relationship with God. You have access to the God of the universe. You can be secure. But to do that, you have to embrace and rest in your position in God's family. In any circumstance, in any crisis, in any problem, you can rest in the truth of what God's word has to say. Now, you might have to remind yourself of this, and I would encourage you to meditate on this often. You likely will have to review the truth of Galatians chapter 4 to make sure that it's actually there. And you may have to repent of living unloved. That is the biblical pattern of receiving truth, right? You hear the truth, You see how your life doesn't match up so you don't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work harder and get yourself organized. You fall on your face and you repent. And then you believe that God's word is true and begin living it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the gospel dance. The key to living love is to understand how you have been adopted into the family of God. Let me read a story to maybe help us conclude in this. I know we've been a little bit long today. Nothing, nothing abnormal from the previous seven years that I preached here. Mary Ann Bird grew up knowing she was different and she hated it. She was born with a cleft palate, and when she started to go to school, her classmates, who were constantly teasing, made it clear to her how she must have looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and hollow, somewhat garbled speech. She couldn't even blow up a balloon without holding her nose, and when she bent to drink from the water fountain, the water spilled out of her nose. When her schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? She'd tell them that she had fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than have been born different. At the age of seven, she was convinced that no one outside of her own family could ever love her or even like her. And then she entered the second grade in Mrs. Leonard's class. She never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was round and pretty and fragrant with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and warm eyes that smiled, even on the rare occasions when her mouth didn't. Everyone adored her, but no one came to love her more than Mary Ann did, and for a special reason. The time came for the annual hearing test given at school. Marianne was barely able to hear anything out of one ear and was not about to reveal yet another problem that would single her out as different. And so she cheated. She had learned to watch the other children and raise her hand when they did during the group test. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with a finger, and the teacher would whisper something from her desk that then the child had to repeat. Then the same thing was done for the other ear. Marianne had discovered that in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tight you pressed your finger in the in the ear, and so she merely pretended to block her ear. As usual, she was last. But through the testing, she wondered what all through the testing she wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to her. She knew from previous years that she whispered things like. The sky is blue. Or, Do you have new shoes? Her, t- her turn came up. She turned her bad ear, plugged it up with the, solidly with her finger, and then gently backed her finger out so she could be able to hear. She waited, and then she heard the words that God surely had put into her teacher's mouth, seven words that changed her life forever. Mrs. Leonard The pretty, fragrant teacher, Marianne adored, said softly, I wish you were my little girl. You and I are not born with cleft palates. We are born with cleft hearts. We are broken and misshapen. We have hearts that are not up to the task, that lead to lives that are broken, misshapen, and not up to the task. But that doesn't change God's heart towards us. Put your heart in Jesus today, no matter how deficient your performance is. He says to you, I'm glad you're mine. The true and living God has not only forgiven you, not only justified you, most wonderfully of all, He has adopted you. He has brought you close, as close as can be, all the way into His family. You are forgiven and justified, but more than anything else, you are a child, the son of the living God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for the truths that it tells us. Lord, even as we consider the truths about our adoption into your family here today, Lord, we need your help. We see the beauty of it, and we long to have this kind of relationship. But Lord, we are so many times are skeptical because of experiences that we have had. Really, those experiences have led to unbelief about who you are and how you see us. And Lord, we ask that you would correct that in us today. Lord, would you help us to trust the truth of what Galatians 4 has told us, that you have indeed redeemed us that that redemption brings us into adoption into your family where the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can never be kicked out of the family. Lord, you then create this intimacy with you and then you give us the inheritance. Lord, we're waiting for the fullness of it, but Lord, we already know we have it. So help us to live with the hope and faith of that. Help us to truly embrace the reality that we, are children, of God. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9am. Until then, remember that you are loved.